Ladies and gentlemen, you're coming live from Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet on Strathclyde! Guten Tag, hello, konnichiwa, and welcome to this, the first live show of a new year. This is Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, fresh off of the sensation that is New Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom. We are not going to talk about Wrestle Kingdom, but we are here to talk about some, some great banter and also entertain you with some great knowledge and chat. I am your host this week, Stephen Wilson, and I am joined... First of all, returning to the panel after a few weeks' absence, some say he brings a bit of knowledge and intelligence to the panel. I would agree based on the guy sitting next to his, to his right. It's the fury of Fife, Nathan Fisher. It's a pleasure to be back. First time 2018. Let's go. Right. The, ne- the, ne- the next panellist who I was not referring to on that statement, just so he doesn't get insulted, <laughs> Shakes fist. is the man who has brought with him some interesting pops. It's the king of Tuck. It's Stephen Louch. Hi Stephen. How's it going? Ah, very well. Halfway through first full week back at work in chatting wrestling with some intelligent people and yourself. <laughs> uh, if we're going to throw insults, let's go there. <laughs> I clarified that I wasn't actually insulting you. So I've just been on our next person on the panel. <laughs> yeah, I saw that coming. Yes, and rounding off our panel this evening, he is the king of Kfeb. He is the modern day Maharaja, it's David Hopney. Also the inaugural ESSR champion, thank you very much. But konnichiwa and happy year of the Rusev to you. Did you have to actually mention that you were the champion? Yes. Did you have to get it in like that quickly? Yes, that's the fact of the day. I am the inaugural ESSR champion. Deal with it. <laughs> he lost it the same day. It's hardly a memorable reign. Well, Finn Balor lost, it the day, lost the Universal title the day after. Still recognises the first one. <laughs> And providing us with technical support, as always, it's the EP, Kwaku Aji. What's up? What's happening? Not much, you? Yeah, same, same. Guys, is it good to be back on Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet live? Absolutely. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, can't beat that live experience. <laughs> yes, so we are on live, but if you are, if you are listening live, uh, send us a tweet. We are at Suplex Retweet on Twitter, Facebook, and also Instagram. Uh, if you're not listening live and you're listening to us back on the podcast, then drop us a message at any point and with your feedback right so this week the, the, our subject of discussion as i said will not be wrestle kingdom people may think controversial but we talk about things a wee bit differently we are going to talk about wrestlers who divide opinion now anybody who's listened to suplex retweet over the weeks that we have been on air have known that we have debated many in many circles of some wrestlers who we think are good and some who we don't think are good. No examples come straight to mind. <laughs> He's looking at me right there. <laughs> but yeah, there is plenty of discussion on the go here. So if you are listening live and you want to join in the discussion, as I say, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Right. So I thought there's no better way to start off a discussion about dividing opinion as a wrestler than with uh, Mr. Big Match himself, the king of the five knuckle shuffle, it is John Cena. Guys, thoughts on John Cena to start here? See, to be honest, 
I was actually a big fan of Cena, like, during the Ruthless Aggression era, because he single-handedly defined that era when he sort of came in 2002, and then three years later, he's a three-time US champion and won his first WWE championship. But that's kind of also the year where it went downhill towards the end. Yeah, so I'll quickly give a bit of history on John Cena. I don't know, if you're a wrestling fan, you should know about John Cena. But essentially, John Cena, as David said, started off in the Ruthless Aggression era where he had that type of rapper mm. gimmick. Which was over as. It was yeah, ve- it was really good. It was very over to a point where WWE made him very babyface. Mm-hmm. And over the last 12 to 13 years, John Cena has held six, 16 world championships 16, he's at yeah. now. Yep. Uh, to a point where a, lo- a lot of people at one point thought he was they just didn't like him and he was ruthlessly booed in every arena he's in coming into now 2018 John Cena is potentially at a stage where he's more respected than disliked so guys as I said David's opened up very well talking about the ruthless aggression era let's uh, kind of open up the discussion on John Cena I think it's because similar to what David said he came in with like rapper gimmick and ruthless aggression era kind of there was a point where it was the early 2003 where he was kind of like a tweener not heel or face and kind of connected with the crowd that way I think it wasn't until probably shortly like just before the PG era they kind of turned into more Hulk Hogan figure the hustle like, hustle like respect type thing when people started like turning on and like eat your vitamins see your prayers kind yeah, of thing yeah exactly kind of the same never thing never give yeah. up kind of thing yeah. yeah there was a lot of moments where he did start off very strong he had very edgy interviews etc mm-hmm. and then he then when they made him the, the big baby face and he's, here's the guy we're going to get behind there was moments for the one example jumped straight out to me is JBL was poop where he spray painted it on a car when you're doing stuff like that that was 2008 as well so it was like a couple of years after it all started uh, yeah but that was the type of thing that started to um, represent John Cena was he would come out dressed as a five year old child he still does yeah. Uh, yeah and he would act like a five year old child his insults were filled with things like this and that's what just stayed in a, a constant for him and never there wasn't a progression there was many many years where it was just this is alright we've got this thing that works he sells a lot of t-shirts he gets the families in the crowd mm-hmm. let's not change him in any way and I think that where Stephen had mentioned about the um, the progression in him was when he went through his US title phase and started wrestling and it was it was something different for him it wasn't the normal uh, formulatic uh, formula for him yeah. I think uh, many people would probably pinpoint a couple of main points in history where Cena's the hate for Cena was at his peak. One of the ones was in 2006 at the ECW One Night mm. Stand, where mm. he defended the title against Rob Van Dam. I think the Hammerstein Ballroom would have exploded if Cena did left that night with the championship. The sign to mention that was sign of the night. If Cena wins, we riot. Yeah, I think that sign's now in folklore now in wrestling. Even, there's a lot actually. It set set the tone for a lot of big. Uh, um, parts and crowd matches kind of thing even yeah. earlier that year Wrestlemania that year was getting like Triple H meant to be the heel was getting he was yeah. getting booze, you know yeah. funny enough that was in Chicago as well yeah yeah. That, that's, that's the other probably peak of, of the hatred was in Chicago in 2011 where he defended the WWE title again at Money in the Bank against CM Punk that, oh, best match ever that hurts me so much that that was six years ago that's one of my <laughs> goddamn old moments six and a half six and a half yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, that's but, that's got to be one of the most partisan anti-Cena crowds I think I've ever yeah. seen. But both of them are really good examples of why I like Cena, because he acted his role when he went into the ECW, he went in, he didn't do his usual salutes and stuff like that, it was hat down, mm. belt in the air, walk in, like, I'm here, I'm not backing down. 
he took his he, when he started throwing the t-shirt back and he kept throwing it and throwing it and throwing it it was very much he was in and, it, and he could play it and it's moments like that you're like well, why did you not do that earlier that's the kind of edgy like doing his own thing type of scene that people wanted to see and it's only been in the later years where he's winding down he's not the focal point and we're starting to see more of that from him I think the thing obviously seen it to a lot of people is kind of like the face of that era in WWE between the ruthless aggression and kind of the era we're seeing now where a lot of people many people kind of, kind of tuned away a wee bit from wrestling kind of jumped in and out of what was actually happening but didn't really get to watch it and it was kind of a point where it was kind of dominated by guys like it was John Cena and Edge you were seeing the same faces all the time and Cena was seen as the main man in that type of era so I think that kind of defined there was a lot more things. there was a lot more clean cut faces and heels in that sort of era as well because you know John Cena was the ultimate baby face and you know you had guys like you said Edge rated R superstar He's he was a properly good heel back then yeah absolutely but uh, as Stephen also said uh, you got to a point uh, uh, more recently probably around about 2015 where a lot of people's opinions changed about John Cena mine's in particular I was I was a big fan of John's and that early ruthless aggression I thought that gimmick worked really well yeah. mm-hmm. where he was yeah. the rapper and it was it was, it was <clears throat> properly good and he really got got himself over do you think it really appealed to like a younger audience though it seemed to appeal to mainly teenagers and adults usually it more appealed to that one and then when they started diluting Cena that's when you started to see he became sort of kid friendly but kid, also kid teenagers friend. at a push yeah and around about that point I said between maybe about 2005 Five, maybe 2011 was the point where I thought like I was just sick of the sight of John Cena but now as he's got older as Stephen said he's a less of a focal point he's more respected now for his actual in-ring ability than he was I mean the thing that always annoyed me about John Cena haters was they always say like you can't wrestle Yeah. I personally think I don't know if you all agree with me I, don't, I think that's completely untrue I thought the issue with Cena was the gimmick that was diluted and not anything to do with his ability in the ring I think no, I like, agree yeah it was, uh, that's oh, okay. I was gonna say I think there's two things we've seen now. As he coughs, as he coughs, yeah. As yeah, we're talking about like Cena. Uh, you mentioned 2015, where he obviously, obviously, suddenly started like show his wrestling ability. I think it's probably fair to say he's probably a better worker than guys like Rock or Austin, who are in more higher regard. Yeah, well, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago in the best of uh, 2017 episode where Chris Murray mentioned the match between him and AJ Styles at the Royal Rumble. And um, we were talking about the kind of how the finish of that kind of worked when he did the A and the roll into the other A, which was mm-hmm. something you never really seen from John back in that kind of PG era. Uh, he, he always continuously added to his movesets in the sort of later years because he was adding things like springboard stunner yeah. and drop, he was doing drop kicks more often. And yeah, he became a lot more diverse in his moveset. I, I think if you look at Cena's match record, He's probably had more, I think even Stone Cold said it, that he's had more top matches than any other oh, yeah, headliner absolutely. that WWE, WWF have ever had. Yeah. I think he suffered as well is that everybody else in the different eras tended to have a wider range of characters around them that were at the same level. He was pretty much the overall number one untouchable guy for a large period of time and that led to him being on a lot more TV a lot more pay-per-view main events etc so that's how people can get fed up is when you get things overexposed and you see too much of it and I think a lot of his stuff has seemed that it's diluted down because in amongst all that absolute quality that you can't deny there's been a lot of moments where they must have just been looking for 15 minutes to fill let's send them out to give some kind of garbage promo that no one's going to remember well you see you've mentioned it earlier on as well he did a lot of garbage promos back at that point in time, but at later years he started to improve a lot more in his promos. I mean, he's delivered a lot more. His ones with The Rock, I thought, were in 2012, where uh, 
they pointed out the fact that The Rock, who's a po- who was meant to be the best talker in WWE, had the full script <laughs> to that promo on his arm. I thought it was brilliant. But another promo which he did it was absolutely savage and brilliant, which kind of outlined how good he is. It was on a man who, to some people, he maybe think he's kind of one of the reasons why the Cena hate has died down, and he's going to be the next wrestler who we talk about tonight. It's the it's the big dog. It's the current Intercontinental Champion, Roman Reigns. <laughs> Don't be a mark. <laughs> You're not a mark any other week. Don't try to be one now. All right, I've been told. <laughs> yeah, guys, Roman Reigns uh, broke into the WWE, obviously, in 2013. No, 2012, sorry, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, as, part of the sh- as part of the Shield with uh, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. Now, to people who kind of... Maybe seen more just glimpses of Seth and Dean. It'd be kind of hard for people to re- think, maybe even back then as well, that the third man in that group was going to be so hated by a large section of the wrestling crowd. And that's what we've got with Roman Reigns. Uh, we'll talk about this as well. Um, is the hate to Roman again kind of by what we talked about with Cena? Is it more down to how WWE handle him and less to how what he's like? in the ring guys let's talk about Roman Reigns it's more down to WWE's handled him for me personally because I think in the ring he's actually quite good and but, but he's obviously you know he's he, he's not expected to do major flips or anything because he's he's a big guy he's more powerhouse mm-hmm. uh, but yep. yeah it's just WWE's handling of him they've basically handpicked him to be the next poster boy and they've essentially kept it going despite fans reactions it's like they want to tell the story of the big dog rising to the top and it's nobody's wanting to see it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of that David's spot in there. I think to a lot of people just don't like the fact that they're being told who mm-hmm. to like. We're in a spell in wrestling where people people cheer heels. Uh, people don't like to be told that that this is the guy they want to push. But Roman is also seems to be the the guy they've took out their hatreds on in recent years. Yeah, I'd, uh, I agree with what David said as well. I mean, we've all seen Roman's capable having a really good match. The matches with AJ Styles, about two years ago now, spring to mind immediately. Uh, you know, he was when he was part of the Shield. Obviously, he's probably a lot of people's favourites. Uh, it was not until when he left, and then he kind of tried to like the clean cut, well, not clean cut, but the face, basically, the company. And it's not until recently when the Shield have been brought back, but like just before then, they were kind of slowly turning toward, like, like being favourable towards him. I felt, and mm-hmm. it's only real now that they're kind of eventually turning. Yeah, one of the best. Him. One of the best examples of it was, I think, it was. I'm trying to remember. Was it to end of 2015 where he was shooting with Sheamus? Yes, yes. Yeah, that was kind of the point where they thought that they were mm-hmm. they were getting buying into Roman, and yeah. then they kind of ruined it and at the start of the next year by having him put that title on the line it's, from the yeah. number one spot in the Royal Rumble. And you just think, nah, they're pushing him again. It's because it was so evident that he was basically writing, like reading of a script basically when he was reciting his promos, and yeah. they, when they eventually like began to let him go a bit loose, then. I think the one of those favorite. promos that come to mind is the Suffering Succotash oh, promo. Oh, no. Terrible. That's going bad back, memory, bad memory. That's going back into what we'd said about John Cena earlier on, is that sometimes when they've got these guys out there out in front all the time, you get too much of them, and end up some weeks they must just be stretching for stuff to say. I will go on the side of WWE with, the, with on Reigns. Reigns should be the push guy and the number one guy, because he's six foot odds, he's yeah. handsome as hell, he's got the body pretty much of a god, if you've seen him, he's the kind of guy that most, like what used to be described where like your, your big stars was, guys want to be him, women want to be with him, and that's what I see with him, and yeah, to, to our age group of fans, and the smarter fans, then he's not 
like an AJ Styles or Daniel Bryan, which really hurt him when he came out instead of him at the Rumble. Well, it, he, he won that Rumble that everyone yeah, he expected. Won that, he yeah. won that Rumble. Yeah. So... Um, I think he gets a hard time for what he is. In terms of what he does, he's producing the merch, he's getting the families through the door. Mm-hmm. And from what I've heard, um, on various reports online, etc., is that across the States, at house shows, he's universally loved. It's only mm-hmm. in TV. So it's that almost Pavlovian response we spoke about before. And they think what you need to do is boo the top guy when you're on TV. Mm-hmm. And that's that. it gets a totally different reaction from a live crowd than what he does in front of a TV audience. I mean, let's we'll, we'll kind of compare them at this moment in time to his uh, Shield bre- brothers, uh, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. Do you think his popularity being not as good as they two is maybe down to the fact that he wasn't this indie darling as the other two were, that he came straight through the WWE product? I think that's kind of true, but I think it also comes in a sense like when the Shield broke up, sort of mid-2014, Rollins and Ambrose kind of had to start fresh. You know, they were given new theme music, new ring, new ring gear. Hmm. They essentially had to break out again as single stars, but Roman still was still carried forward with the momentum that the Shield had built over the years. He still kept the Shield's theme music. He still had the the sort of flak vest on and everything. I think they were trying to carry the Shield's popularity to, over to Roman Reigns. And it, I think it kind of worked for a bit, but then sort of start of 2015, and when he got announced as Superstar of the Year 2014, when he was out for most of it, I think that's when people started to realise, wait a minute, they're trying to force him on us here. Yeah, and to what you said about uh, Seth and Dean's like, indie uh, film, I think like, external factors like Punk basically saying on Cabana's podcast that he had to make Reigns like, really, really strong didn't really help either. In yeah. terms of like, being force-fed... Wasn't Cassius, wasn't Cassius Ono supposed yeah. to be Apparently in so, Roman's yeah. place as part Apparently, of the show yeah. as well? Yeah, and it was Punk's idea. No. That was during Cassius's original run in NXT where he didn't really uh, sell himself very well mm. to the guys in, in, in the back. Uh, obviously now in his second one, I think he's got himself in a, a lot better light at backstage. But the thing with uh, Roman and Cena that many people say is the fact that WWE have maybe missed boats and maybe turned the two of them heel and maybe turning them heel may get the fans back on the side. Do you think, obviously it's probably now too late for Cena, do you think uh, Roman would maybe need that to maybe get the fans back on his side and get them to, them actually to appreciate what he is in the ring? Because we pointed out the fact that Roman is very good in the ring on his day. He's had the matches with AJ Styles. I mean, look at the matches he had with Braun Strowman. They two have tore, mm-hmm. the, tore the house down over the over yeah. 2017. And his performance in the Survivor Series match as well, where he won single-handedly, practically. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was the point where they started shoving him near near that point but do you think maybe if they were to turn him heel we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when he had that heel promo after or not the heel promo but the yeah. promo after Wrestlemania uh, where he was getting booed so bad I don't think I've ever seen a man get booed so much in my life that was like the best promo of the year I loved it <laughs> I think from something you mentioned earlier Stephen we're in the era where fans boo baby faces and cheer heels you turn him heel he's just going to get a baby face response so what do they gain from that I just don't see benefit to doing it when he's doing all the business matrix that they need to I think fans just need to stop being wrong wrong he's yeah. wrong no. wrong no we're no wrong yeah. I think you're no right <laughs> I think the fans cheer for guys who are either interesting characters or good in the ring or even so maybe even both and I think Roman really struggles to cut a good promo I mean, he gets the good, the odd good one in every now and again, but it's not consistent, as it were. Whereas Cena, you know, he 
he was very good at delivering promos, but everybody saw his ring work as a bit stale back in the time. Uh, so I think it's sort of these two factors can make a difference. But, you know, if you've got a heel that can cut a really good promo and do, do really well in the ring, I think that's what makes people cheer for them. I mean, moving, you talk about their characters, and we'll move on to an, uh, another character who has, he's had a few characters over the years, and he's one that divides a lot of opinion purely, I think, due to what happens backstage. We're talking about a former WWE champion, we're talking about a former tag team champion, well, a former Triple Crown champion, Intercontinental champion, and US champion as well. Uh, it's John Bradshaw Layfield, better known as JBL. Guys, JBL was one that kind of came up quite a lot in the discussions we were having uh, before the show. I mean, Let's uh, let's open it up to the discussion. What's your thoughts on JBL? Uh, uh, well, I didn't see him much of JBL during his Bradshaw days because I only started watching like the t- around the time where he became he transitioned from Bradshaw to JBL, and I think he played the heel role very well. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think you know, hearing all these rumors backstage, I think he he does play a, a good men. Well, he's I think he's supposed to act like a mentor backstage because he is a legend of the business, but maybe. Because it's like in Edge's book as well, you know, he was uh, caught in a bit of a compromising position with JBL as well. Well, that's the thing there. There's a couple of things that maybe divide a lot of fans about JBL. One of the facts was, uh, as you talk, we talked about, he was WWE champion in, from 2004 to 2005. And he kind of went from a point where he was floundering, per se, uh, to being put as the main guy. So that's kind of tore a lot of people on JBL in terms of his ring ability. Uh, the other thing as well is a lot of people perceive how he acts backstage. There's a lot of rumours, we obviously can't comment too much, there's a lot of talk thing about him being a backstage bully. One one thing comes to mind is a particular incident with the Blue Mini in mm-hmm. 2005. Yep. I mean, I mean, that's all rumours, but do you think that kind of divides a lot of people on him? Yeah, um, I'll basically steal this from a conversation had amongst a bunch of wrestlers a couple of months ago when the stuff came out about Mauro. Mauro. Interesting. um, Mm. Wrestling's a tough business. Not everybody can be in it. There's people who go and do training, last a day, don't get into it. Um, There's many of us who wouldn't even bother going to try and do it. And it's it's always been something that's had that you've got to be tough to last this. Mm. And I think... In that world where it is, it's not a normal workplace. If we acted in certain ways, we wouldn't. But we've all known a workplace where there is someone who tests people and makes sure, especially something that is a high-pressure, very important um, situation to be in, that everybody would be wishing to be in. And sometimes people do need pushed in a certain way. And I'm not saying that all these ways have been right, but I'm not against someone being a bit of an enforcer and Mm. keeping people in line and making people earn their, their dues and stuff. And that's probably something we hear these days doesn't happen as much, but... Are we maybe seeing some people stick around that really shouldn't be? Was he... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but was uh, Bradshaw not part of that backstage group that was led by The Undertaker in the 90s? Yeah. Wrestlers Court, that's Wrestling. what they call it. Yes, no, yeah. it was... Oh, under- BSK. BSK. BSK, yeah. yeah. I don't think he was part of it, though. I think he was... Was he not round about it? No, that was the Was he not round about it? Probably, because he was certainly in that. You know, but some of what Stephen was saying, it's... Like, versus, like, can you agree with... What, J- what JBL's been renowned for backstage. I mean, Punk said it as well in respect to guys like Bob Holly, like he misses the fact that there's no one, as Stephen was saying, to like, it's like enforce like, the rules backstage, make sure no one's getting too ahead of themselves, stuff like that, and keep them focused, really. Mm. And, you know. Yeah, to add to that, there is a strong, I think there's a strong line between being an enforcer and being mm. a bully, where you, oh, physically, yeah, you physically put somebody down just to make them feel 
belittled mm. or upset. No, that should be right to come down. Absolutely. Yeah. But an enforcer toughens you up. It says, mm. come on, get up, just brush yourself off and keep going. That reminds me of Bob Holly. You know, he, I mean, he pushes you around, but it's, he does it for a good reason. Also, Whereas, what, you said, what you said, sorry about uh, Bradshaw Flounder, I think that's a bit harsh. I mean, the guy's a 17-time hardcore champion. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a point there. And he is a multiple-time tag team champion as well. Yeah, it, it was also a very difficult era. He, he wasn't meant to get the belt when he did. Mm. It was because Eddie wasn't up to it. Eddie couldn't take it mentally. He's physically breaking down and they put it on him early. Um, it was an era where we'd lost a lot of stars and it was very much a rebuilding time. And looking back at the time, it was like, right, we used to have Stone Cold, we used to have Mankind, we used to have The Rock, all these guys. Why the hell we got half a uh, APA? In a suit, acting like the champion. Well, that, that, that brings. You wonder that, where that rings a bell. Yeah, that brings me <laughs> on to the. You pretty much got me there. I'm, I'm going. I'm going to combine them two in a one point here and bring the conversation to you, David. Yay! <laughs> JBL and Jinder Mahal. <laughs> Can you relate the two of them in terms of mixed opinions from fans or yourself? Because we've not heard you ever moan about JBL. No, that's the thing. I think Jinder's rise. Is very much in parallel with uh, JBL's in in a sense, because you know they sort of were they were sort of in obscurity. Then out of nowhere, they're getting put in the WWE Championship match and they win within the space of a few months. I think yeah, because they needed a top heel as though SmackDown in two thousand four needed a top heel as the champion, and I think that's kind of where it came from. But it wasn't. But in JBL's case, it wasn't fueled by the fact that a demographic, a certain demographic, started tuning in. I think. Yeah, but JBL was on a was on a certain program on the Fox Network where he was getting mm-hmm. regular coverage day in day out on the TV, in a prominent in a prominent uh, category in the business mm-hmm. financial side of things. So people were seeing him every day, and it was like this guy is also WWF champion, or WWE champion. Mm-hmm. If you're going to go down the route of saying certain demographics, then. Well, that's the thing. He, JB, well, JBL. You know, he had a. He came from Bradshaw. You know, he had a bit of a facelift. He had a few, well, warm-up matches. Do I think he, that was their attempt to try and make him come across as a convincing challenger? I mean, even in his first championship match, he he won by disqualification. So that gave the the brand a bit more time to sort of work with him. But you know, they just in Jinder's case, they just gave it to him at the first instance. And I think that in Jinder's case, it was too much too soon. But not as soon as when, or no, even more soon than when JBL got yeah. it. Yeah, because I think JBL did have the background of the AP were very over. They were oh, very yeah, basic absolutely. in what they did, but mm-hmm. they were they were an act everybody was going on about. Even if they did have one of the most remarkable wrestling T-shirts on it that I had on the front, always pounding <laughs> ass. <laughs> I, I love. I loved how their office was just a door. Yeah. In, yeah. In, in, the right. the, in the middle of the hall, yeah. just a ball plate. See, the, he had a, a gimmick that was. He, he did have a gimmick that was over, but they had to sort of. Yeah, but uh, it, was just, it was very much a switch. They went when uh, they started the brand split. He was on Raw. He got yeah. a bit of a push. I think mm. he faced Scott Hall um, before Scott Hall disappeared again. Anyone all those? Like hard, anyone all those hardcore hard titles? Yeah. He was in that terrible tag match that we talked about previously um, with Trish and Jackie Gaither. Mm. Um, like a Stan Hansen gimmick, yeah. Yeah, they switched to that, and then it kind of dwindled down. And then there was this. I think there was was another. Um, what do you call it again? Uh, draft. And it was on and SmackDown. Then, yeah, and then it went to SmackDown, and then suddenly it wasn't like a transition. It wasn't on oh, my way to learn business school or anything. It did just turn up, and it was quite instant. So I think if it had more of a transition, 
but at that moment they just needed headliners for SmackDown because like Undertaker was out injured, Carter got injured at Mania. Big Show was out injured. Big Show, they, they yeah. lost a lot of names pretty quickly. Sometimes you just got to improvise. Yeah, I mean, yeah. see, is there any other similarities we can kind of see in the kind of mix between JBL yeah. and Jinder Mahal? I think JBL's can also be a bit more justified because he is a former multiple-time tag team champion and, of course, the 17-time hardcore champion. So he's got a, he had a few title reigns under his wing, to say the least. Jinder had nothing, <laughs> not even an NXT championship reign at all. I did, I did love the AP. The, 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 no. I mean, Jinder we, we t- literally came from nothing. I mean, we're talking about mixed opinions. When you look at Bradshaw running back then in the lower in the lower cult, uh, the APA was one of the most over acts of the Attitude Era. And oh I yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think they were. I mean, I, I wasn't big on them as the acolytes when they were in the, the ministry. I just, mm. but the the, the kinda, APA were brilliant. Uh, the protection agency type of thing. Do you remember the match they had on SmackDown? With, no, was it on the SmackDown pay per view? It was just that big. Like the Baron Brawl. Baron Brawl, yeah. 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 I think it was on an Armageddon or something like that. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was, it wasn't a like standout match of the evening, but it just, because of the gimmick, it kind of worked. Just so many matches you can have just because somebody spilled something on a table. Yeah. That's how simple it was. <laughs> Sunday Night Heat was always just somebody comes up, knocks the door, come in, oops, you've knocked over a glass, you've knocked the cards down, right? <laughs> Five minutes later, they're out in the ring, you've got a match there. It was so beautiful in its simplicity. Yeah. Well, this day and age, you can start uh, have a, a match with somebody just by throwing veg during their guitar concert. Let's not talk about Jason John. <laughs> right, the the final wrestle we'll talk about in the first half of the show was one suggested by Mr. Louch. And I'm going to see his opinion on this. We're talking about the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. I love Mark Henry, right? <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of things. Like, I was... I, my growing up, I was an avid reader of Power Slam magazine, and Finn Martin hated nearly everybody on this list. I've always liked Mark Henry. He's a big guy, he's believable, he's never trying to do anything too difficult in the ring. He's probably got injured way more than probably useful, but in terms of what a guy with his look and his gimmick of being the world's strongest man, um, the different things put in his path. So the only man in the world that's the father to a, a hand. Um, <laughs> to be able to come back from something like that's the kind of thing that you would never normally get back over. Do you, do you think and the then, hand will show up, will return for the 25th anniversary of Raw in a couple I, of few weeks? I, I think probably due to the unfortunate demise of its mother. Um, <laughs> probably <laughs> unlikely to. It's probably still... So I'll try to get a grip on that. So, but yeah, back to Mark Henry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but then come back, and I think the the Hall of Pain run is one of my favourite runs over the last see, ten years or so. I, I'm kind of in agreement with Stephen on Mark Henry. Yeah. I think when I mean it's hard to kind of say. Dive, dive, we say it divides opinions. A lot of people would kind of say that he was <clears> just not a good wrestler. Yeah. That's kind of the thing that people say. He just, he just didn't do much, but. I will refer to two points together. Stephen Ruff brought up the Hall of Pain, which he did the role brilliantly, and it kind of worked well. The other one was, at its time, it was brilliant, and it was sexual chocolate. Mm. <laughs> As in, the, we, are, we are fans of sexual chocolate, or any haters of sexual chocolate? I thought it was quite clever, to be honest. I think, you know, it was, I mean, it was kind of a silly gimmick, but it was a silly gimmick that worked. And, you know, it got the fans sort of ch- chatting for him and stuff. And But I really... I have to agree with both the other guys with the Hall of Pain angle. It really made him look unstoppable. And see when he was, um, he left Raw in about 2004 and came back in 2005 on SmackDown. I mean, I think this is the first time I've seen him, I've watched him properly, like, in the go in the ring. And I was, I actually really liked it. See, I thought 
Sexual Chocolate was good because it was funny, it was charismatic, you could tell he had that personality. But between that point where the Sexual Chocolate gimmick ended, roughly in about 1999, 2000, and when the Hall of Pain kind of came in, I thought he, he, he was floundering and he was kind of being... Yeah, he didn't he, do anything. Like, he was on the run at EC, as ECW champion. Apart from that, not really. Well, he had a couple of World Heavyweight Championship opportunities in and between. Like he was a top contender for the title, but he's, he just didn't what? grab the big one, as it he, were. He's the kind of guy that you should always have in the roster. That you put somebody in a match, and it mm. seems like a threat. They're never really going to be. There's like it's like what the Kane rule was for many years. Is that if you've got a heel champion, you're like right. Well, we're going to put you in a match against Mark Henry tonight. He's a big, believable guy. Um, I think he did suffer a lot from his injuries. Um, some of his early booking was terrible. Um, that was ve- it was very. It was probably he had to pick one gimmick that was Vince Russo. I would say some of the sexual chocolate yeah. going on. But uh, unfortunately, there isn't a lot of negativity in the panel towards him too. Because I really. Mean, but if you kind of look on the fence, with uh, the the criticism was that round about that time his his wrestle work wasn't great. Mm. Let's be honest, with you. but he what he, he, the fact he came in in nineteen ninety six. Uh, he'd been that he'd had that straw man competition WWE seen his potential gave him a 20 year contract and he's up he's, he's, he's is, am I right saying he's probably he was at one point the longest active mm-hmm. guy yeah, in the roster having gold right, yeah having gold yeah. yeah I mean it does obviously take her still about so then, some, well the reason I think his ring work was so bad because he was predominantly a power lifter I mean he had no wrestling training behind him to, to an extent well that's what the Hall of Pain worked well just add to what Stephen said about believability, uh, and we'll probably discuss this more in next week's show, but that retirement speech you done, favourite retirement speech, that is one of my favourite moments. I love that. He played a blinder in that. Amazing. That was, that's one of those that just comes absolutely from yeah. nowhere. There'd been a wee bit of talk before it, let's go, uh, all mm. he's going, and everything's like, well, he's had a good run. That He comes out, gives the speech, holds his boots, they've got Cena going, well done, and just snatches him up, and you're like... And a lovely salmon oh. jacket as well. Oh, uh, the pink uh, salmon jacket. <laughs> Just a quick question, just while we're talking about it quickly. Um, what was better, that or uh, Drew Galloway's one just before Fear and Love and Nine on the, the garage? I I think Mark Henry's one, but because, because a, of Mark Henry's one, I was standing there the whole time going, no, it's, it's too too soon the way he's doing it, isn't he right? Mm-hmm. Um, so Mark Henry, because it was the first. First is always the best. Yeah, no, Mark yeah, Henry's Mark is Henry. better. Mark Henry as well, yeah. WWE missed a, missed a real trick by not selling those salmon jackets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they would have went down an absolute treat with so many in the in the, in the the universe. I can mm. see a rush down to Slater's tomorrow to everyone remind, remember how think, good it was. Do you think he could have been given a... Yeah. Do you think he could have been a believable guy to win the Royal Rumble? I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, see, he comes under that classification of guys like, how many is it going to take to eliminate Mark mm. Henry? And this, the cl- the showdowns, the stare downs with the big show, and he had the one uh, last year with Braun. Did they not do pretty well last year? No, quite he a few people. It, they not get chucked out quite tr- quickly after Braun. I'm going to check this. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to check this up, and I'll we'll, yeah. we'll get bring that get that back in the second half of the show. Like if he was booked as an unstoppable monster, like who went uh, literally undefeated from like. When he came to SmackDown in 2005 to WrestleMania that year, he could have won the Rumble and just gone absolutely insane on the roster. I think we a lot like a lot of the guys we kind of talked about in this first half of the show. The the negativity to a lot of them comes from how they were booked. I mean, there was a point where um, Henry was uh, feuding with Taker in 2007. Uh, I didn't think that really helped him much too because he was kind of he was in the angle with Taker and then he kind of was uh, pushed aside essentially when the Great Khali came in. Mm. Uh, so. I think that kind of, and then he kind of they get pushed to ECW and always that kind of move to ECW is 
floundered a lot of guys, you know, the best of them, you know. But that he took that and he it, it really drove him on. As Nathan has said there, he had a really good run with the belt. At that point when the belt didn't mean very much, it was this shiny silver belt in the world of gold. Mm. It was seen as a secondary belt, but he started to build through. He was having different matches with Christian, etc. Um, and it was bringing a wrestling style to it when it was just a show that was you could tell they were just trying to count down to when they could get rid of it it wasn't ECW anymore but then they started to build that then that helped bring Christian up as well and then you've seen Mark Henry move over to Smackdown you've seen Christian move up the card then Mm. the guys that followed him after it so um, it's definitely one of those where sometimes you can take a step backwards to take a step forward. Yeah, I mean, quickly before we move on from Mark Henry, obviously had that when he was in the Hall of, Hall of Pain gimmick, uh, he was he became World Heavyweight Champion. I'm just gonna before we quickly move on, I'm gonna ask the thoughts. I mean, what do you make of his reign as a champion? Did they not use him right? Should they have been the champion in the first place? We talk about guys who should hold the belt. I mean, I think he deserved it. Absolutely, I mean, he deserved a re- like a reign certainly. Yeah, it was a really good gimmick to go forward yeah. with and to have as as a champion. And brought someone who's been mentioned um, a lot around um, difference in opinions about is Randy Orton, and he had a really good series with Randy Orton. You could see them pushing each other on. Mm. It wasn't as formulatic as a lot of the Orton matches have been you've seen them doing stuff different matches building up um, so I think he had a really good reign I can't remember who he lost it to though. he, he lost, lost, it to, to lost it to the big show who then lost it to Daniel Bryan right. Right. Uh, and I think that way he lost the belt again as we talked about poor booking in my opinion slowed him down and his career's never really hit that same peak other than obviously that promo we've seen him where we thought he was going to have yeah. that quick resurgence but then that faded as well he was, he was already like a 15 year veteran by that point anyway so I mean, you'd start to think maybe his career was starting to wind down, or it was in its twilight years at least. Future Hall of Famer, A and A, absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely, mm-hmm. brilliant. So that has been the first half of the show. We've talked about a lot of the ones uh, wrestlers who divide opinion from our opinion. In the second half of the show, if uh, Sleep Suplex retweet this week, we will be talking about the ones which the fans have told us. We've had a lot of fan interaction over the last couple of days of people who they think divide opinions. So if you are listening live, I mean, but it's not too late to get your opinions in, so get them into us, and we will discuss that in the second half of the sh- of the show, which on wrestlers who divide opinion. So back in a bit. This is Eat Sleep Suplex retweet fun fact uh, as i was growing up i grew up with a broken bed because uh, there was the mattress then there was the plank oh. of there was the plank of wood underneath uh, because uh, i choke slammed my brother through a bed he was a willing participant but he broke the bed uh, it was it was it was, uh, it was like similar to mankind going through the hell in a cell in 1998 it was carnage so that plank of wood has been propping the bed up for about a very, very, very long time. Wait, I you still, still have, you, you still have, I that, still have that same bed. Yeah, <laughs> I've like, I've upgraded to a PS4, but I've not upgraded to a real bed. Up until he won the six-pack challenge, Jinder Mahal had an 80% loss record. And then between winning the Battle Royal and winning the championship, he had a couple of wins in between, and that only improved up to 75% uh, loss record. So, that is madness. The, the, WWE, the 50th ever WWE champion, has a 25% win record, had no branding, no merchandise, and was pretty much a jobber for 95% of his career. How the hell do you explain that? You can see how much he loves Jinder now, can't you? Oh, this is tremendous. I've never <laughs> but, seen something so and then, <laughs> and then the reason, and then the reason, <laughs> and then the reason comes out is that 
there's a massive demographic in India that Vince McMahon, being the mad <laughs> business person that he is, decides he wants some of them, uh, wants to capitalize on it. And yeah, let's uh, let's just say, yeah, do we have an Indian guy on the roster? Oh yeah, there he is. Let's put the big belt on him and say, hey, look, India, you're um, one of your home home guys is, is champion. From give Canada. us your give us your rupees. <laughs> hey, you're alive on there. How you doing? Oh, does that mean I can't swear? Yes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You're alive. This is, this is, I'm, I'm under so You're much alive on already. Eat, sleep suplex retreat. Please do not swear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, what would you what would you like to know? How's it all building up? How's things over there? Well, the VIP queue's looking pretty damn big. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just running with the normal queue to see where all the dafties are sitting. <laughs> See this, you're there. Could you be like a field reporter and kind of be a field reporter? Be a field Does. reporter for us. Get, get some noise. Oh, the, the, Start some oh, chat. Yeah, by the way, the normal crew, the peasants are actually. Yeah, there's a few of them. A couple of snails, <laughs> you know. Ask him if anyone has their tops. What would yet. you like to know for the, for the normal? Get, for the normal first of all, get a get a chance going of some sort. Any chance? Go for it. Who, who, who would you like to talk to? Anyone? <laughs> 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 first, get a chance going. Get a chance going. Get, get a chance. Get a chance going. I'll get a chance going in a minute. Poems like Total Divas, I think though you still, to an extent, keep the sort of Divas tag there for like a money reason. So I don't even completely away from seeing the way you portraying women in that sort of light. Yeah, um, we don't have our resident expert in Stacey in the studio today, <laughs> um, so we better not bash Total Divas too much. As it was oh, her, I love Total Divas. I, 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 I like it as well. I like it as well. <laughs> I've not watched Total Divas. I have watched the first season of Total Divas. It's, it's wonderfully, it's a wonderful train wreck of I did not emotions. Even, I did not even know that there's been a spin-off, so that tells you that it's been much more successful than my eyes have seen. There is a show where John Laurinaitis is more charismatic than Natalia. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're coming live from Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet on Strathclyde! Welcome back to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I'm Stephen Wilson and I'm joined by David Topney, Stephen Louch and Nathan Fisher. How do you? Hello. And we have been talking about wrestlers who divide opinion. Before we go into the next part of the discussion, because we cleared up some things that came up from the first half of the show. Uh, on Nathan's point of Mark Henry in the Royal Rumble, he eliminated one person. Okay. <laughs> so quite the and, and that was yeah. Jack. And that was Jack Gallagher. <laughs> but it was the first elimination of the Rumble, which so is maybe how you remember it. Was that one where the umbrella? Yes. The umbrella came yeah, in. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was his umbrella called William the Third? Something, something. He like. gave his umbrella a weird name. Yeah. Three minutes, seventeen seconds. He lasted in the match. <laughs> Uh, also, based on some of the discussion we had in the first half of the show, we've had uh, a message from James Murphy, who is listening in, on the live feed. Uh, he says, Bullying and poisonous masculinity pretty bad for wrestling has led to a lot of issues in the past. That was when we talked about JBL. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it, it, say, some people take it as bullying, some people take it as leaders, uh, kind of leaders of the locker. It's hard to tell unless you were there, if I'm being honest. Say it to his face, James. Say it to his face. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it sort of, uh, sort of makes you wonder what 
constitutes as an enforcer and what constitutes as a bully. <laughs> yeah, so in the first, uh, for anybody who's listening on as part of the live stream and I've just tuned in, we talked about the likes of John Cena, Roman Reigns, JBL, as we say there, Mark Henry, Jinder Mahal. Now, over the last couple of days, via our Twitter feed, we've had a lot of comments from people giving their opinion and joining in, seeing who they who divides opinion and their opinion. Their opinion and their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> that, sounds so that sounds so stupid when I say it out loud. Uh, so I'm going to go through some of them, and that's what we're going to discuss in the second half of this show. So everybody has seen some of the comments that have went up online. Uh, so we'll go through them now. So the first of which is from a Stuart Dominique who said to us that the Young Bucks are a good one to consider a lot. People seem to either love or hate them. Their attitudes and silliness is a reason for a lot of the hate and their over-the-top style probably doesn't help. Personally, he loves it. Now, we talked about this before the show in our preparation. Uh, we kind of got to put the Bucks, uh, Ricochet, Will Ospreay, a lot of these type of guys in the kind of one, uh, one area. And obviously, as we're fresh off of you, Japan Pro Wrestling Wrestle Kingdom last week, when each of these, well, other than Ricochet, they all get all these guys were on the card. Also, it kind of fits us on the same day we were partly going to get announced at the big Bullet Club show in September this year. Let's first talk about the Bucks. Uh, is there anybody on the panel who's not a fan of the Bucks? Originally, wasn't when they were first starting off. Um, right. When they were just completely over the top of everything. Um, it was just jumping about and you're like, what the hell are they trying to do? But I think as you start to learn more about them and see what they're doing and then seeing the the positive influence they're having, not just in themselves, but all the other people they're bringing around them. Mm. So the prominence they brought to New Japan, um, the, the, they were the kind of the first big get for pro wrestling tees and you now see every wrestler with over 5,000 followers has a pro wrestling tee store that they make a fortune through and are making things and that's where they've went around as they took what they needed to do it was just a very much an attention thing but they've then tweaked it and they're now doing more and bringing more to the world and initially it did just look like these guys are just not even caring they're just doing move, 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 move and there's no reason behind it I mean, uh, the, one of the points in the standout to me that Stuart came out with was the, the over-the-top style, and that's kind of how we lumped them in with the likes of Ricochet and Will Ospreay. Now, to many people, they wonder why would, would they two divide opinion. It was mainly due to the kind of series of matches they had. Was it 2017? It was 2017, was it? The 2016, the Super Juniors. 2016, Well, uh, they had the match where some people thought it was an absolute brilliant match, personally I did, but to others, it was just classed as a, as a, a flip fest. <laughs> I mean, athletically speaking, <laughs> Clark is not sorry, happy with sorry, that. Sorry, sorry, no, I've got a big thing for this. I mean, they've both, they both clearly got a high flying um, style to them, right? <laughs> they both do high flying, right? What, what, what do you want them to do? Power moves and everything? Are you now going to say that a, a fight between Braun Strowman and Kane was rubbish because there was no high flying moves done? Is that the new? I, I don't get it. I think it was more towards it was is that it looked like a sequence rather than being a part of a match. There was a lot of moments in it where it didn't look like they were trying to hit each other. There was a lot of avoidance, etc. But it got everybody in the world talking about them. I don't think there's anybody who's not seen either that match or the many gifts that came from it. So <laughs> I think we potentially, obviously, if he wasn't so unwell as he is, we could have had a set-up for Vader and Kwaku. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was Vader who did a lot of those criticisms. <laughs> Uh, but see with um, I actually quite like the Young Bucks to be honest I mean the I like the kind of over the top style it means it's sort of attention grabbing and it gets the fans involved it's kind of similar with the New Day 
No, because the New Day were very, when they first came, they were sort of very over the top and quite, uh, you know, with the whole power of positivity angle and stuff. But as time progressed, they, they became over with the fans just because of their sheer antics and their catchphrases, etc. But, um, but yeah, the same with the Young Bucks as well, except they've just been uh, going through the entire, uh, uh, all, of the, all of the promotions and everything else. I think in terms of, like, athletically speaking, no one can deny that they are phenomenal athletes and the stuff that they do is amazing. I think, similar to what Stephen said, is that the amount of, like, no-selling involved, it kind of takes the emotion away from the match a little bit, so it's, like, it seems a bit too pre-rehearsed. I think that's kind of one of the criticisms that people devise people on New Japan, is some people say there's not as much selling in some matches. It's kind of not as bad now as it was Maybe in the, the junior heavyweight division. Yeah. Mm. I would say the promotion as a whole. Yeah, I was just going to say it was something that surprised me from Wrestle Kingdom at the weekend was that's probably the most psychology-based Young Butts match that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, they were working the legs, they were working towards um, spoilers, anyone? But the submission finish, um, they were teasing the, the the guys that were facing Two and You. They were facing them and saying, "You you're just young boys still, you aren't fit to face us." But then they were using young boy moves against them. So there was a proper story to it. And there's something we maybe don't see when they're doing the world tours. Where I've seen them a couple of times this year for Discovery, where they're out doing their greatest hits. They can do it, but they don't get that much attention doing that. They don't sell as many T-shirts. They get people queuing up desperately to meet them by doing the same as everybody else. They've got their own thing. Mm. They've made it unique, and they go with it. Um, I think that. So I think that has to be praised as well with the fact that they've been able to make a living marking themselves outside WWE. That. That has to be praised. That just has to. I think they were the first ones to really show that you could make a big amount of money yeah. outside of WWE, and it's kind of falling apart. And you're going to like most of the Bullet Club guys now. Mm-hmm. Osprey is one of the examples. You would potentially maybe have thought Ricochet, but obviously he's meant to be WWE bound now, so he hasn't really fallen to that one. But a lot of people are divided on that high flying. St- I mean, I thought it was actually a really good match. That Super Juniors one. I thought it was. It. Just, I, I, I think Osprey's brilliant. Just goes to show you can go with a promotion not perform every single day like a lot of WWE does and you know you could still earn a bigger bigger salary overall no absolutely but that's a good point thanks for Stuart for sending it to us the next one is from Jimmy Smythe uh, who Smith. is Smythe or Smith one of the two of them Jimmy uh, hi Jimmy hi Jim hi Jimmy, hi, Jimmy. Uh, he says Joey Ryan <laughs> <laughs> gee I wonder why how much can we talk about Joey Ryan on a live show that's all before <laughs> 9 o'clock <laughs> Um, yeah, Joey not Ryan. much we can really say to be honest about the fact that he's uh, jo- jo- Joey yeah. Ryan, uh, uh, male anatomy flipping wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> no, sit down. No, no, <laughs> literally, he's, <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, Christmas wait type. I turn around, you were standing up and you were adjusting your belt. <laughs> <laughs> David, can you start us off on Joey Ryan, Mister WWE man? <laughs> no, I won't start on Joey Ryan. I've, I've seen him live. Well, not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you, you have you have not told us this before, Quacko. Oh, uh, ICW. Yeah. Um, no, 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 I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, but no, we're really we'll go to Stephen because his his gimmick was not something contrived from him. So his gimmick originally was just that he was this just sleazy character, and then he was in Japan and as a wrestler there got a reputation already for grabbing the male genitalia region, and like then performing moves but then it just said it was just meant to be a spot in a match where it was like oh no um, you're uh, too big too strong and then he then flipped him using his appendage and then that just became it just shows you the power of the internet 
That then quickly became a clip that everybody needed to see, went viral, and then very quickly it just built around, right, we need to get this guy in, and it's the most silly of move, one that very few people in the world, myself included, can replicate. Um, but it is, it's just, it's part of the fun. It's a bit more, it's on the sleaze side of fun, but I don't think it ruins wrestling. It, no, not I, I'm not seeing anybody live see it and not be laughing and joking because it's just so over the top. It's not meant to be taken serious. If people who take it serious, no. Nah. I mean, it's I'm silly, biggest, but it's, I mean, people like it. I'm not, the biggest, I'm not the biggest fan. I'm not a big fan. I don't think he's very good. I don't think he's the best in the ring. Uh, I, think I don't I'm know if it's maybe just I've really just only seen him for TNA and thought he was terrible. But that, yeah. Maybe that's not much down to him and maybe down to TNA more than anything else. Yeah, you put that tagline on it of TNA. Who does yeah. look good in TNA? <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of indifferent on him, to be honest. I mean... I thought you were going to say you like TNA for a minute. No, <laughs> of course not. Um, I'm kind of indifferent about Joey Ryan because, you know, obviously he's getting talked about a lot, so he's quite a well-known name in the in the industry. But I think with moves like that, I think you can't help but think seriously. I mean, you might, I mean, once might be funny, but if he does it, if it sort of revolves into a gimmick, I think that's when it just gets silly. But when he's on an event, people expect him to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he'll sell tickets. Mm. I mean, for me personally, I think once or twice is funny, but I think on a consistent basis, I think it just gets a bit repetitive. Well, see, to be honest, at the live show I was at, it was an ICW show. Uh huh. And he was doing knee, was it knee drops? What do you call it when, um, not like it's kind of like setting up for a spine buster, but instead you just drop them on the knee. Atomic, atomic, atomic drop, drop. Atomic, atomic drop, right? So when he was when people were doing atomic drop to him, um, in between the uh, and the penis, you can say penis live for penis, 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 penis. There you go. That's as far as you can go. So when people are atomic dropping them, and you actually hurt the person's knee, and everyone found that funny, and I personally did find that funny. I will, I found that match quite a letdown because I think they played too far into it. Yeah. If I think if they let it be simply uh, Joey Ryan against DCT, they could have played against mm-hmm. the, the um, prowess of each man. Um, and then when you put the, uh, then just turned into a bit of a daftness it was then just used to build daftness up with DCT way. and David Blaze feud and Wee Man and Coach and Coach's clipboard that week uh-huh. only had one message on it of, don't touch the the Godfather <laughs> comes out of nowhere comes in and wins the match somehow wrestling eh wrestling <laughs> Interest, crazy interesting booking yeah but that's, that's a good that's a Troy Ryan is a good one he definitely does divide opinion to certain types of fans so thanks Jimmy for that uh, he, is, he is sponsored by a specific website. Uh, a, a hub. How do you know this? Because he's the only professional wrestler or professional sports athlete to be sponsored by... A hub of pornography. Yeah, yeah. that, yes. <laughs> but he's also, as well, he's also recently, he's also added in, he's now got his range of t-shirts and Hot Topic along, along with the Young Bucks and the mm-hmm. New Japan guys. So that's a... I, I, I think that shows where he sits in the independent circuit that after you've got your New Japan guys and... Uh, uh, the Bullet Club, he's that next level of guy yeah. that they're getting in, so there's obviously yeah, a lot yeah. of interest out there for him. Yeah, so like I said, thanks Jimmy for giving us that point. Uh, our next one comes from Brian Bamford, who is giving us three sets of wrestlers. Uh, I'll say all three of them out, but I'm not going to conclude one of them because I don't think it, it really counts. We've got, he says, Zach Gibson, Polo Promotions, and Session Morris Martina. Uh, a few people did say Martina, but uh, guys, am I right? I don't really think Zach really divides opinion. No, Zach's a heel. He mostly gets booze. 
Um, it's not. It's, I don't think you hear many people saying I can't stand him or seeing him wrestle, etc. He's always very entertaining. Yeah, he has a predominantly heel response, not really sort of a mixed reaction. Yeah, he does what he does, and it works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was, exactly was yeah, so yeah. I'm not really. I, I, I'm not of, sure we can comment on Zach Gibson. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk about pull up promotions, and I think with the pull up promotions when we talked about this as well in our preparation. Uh, I think with the poll promotions, there's only really one half of poll promotions that really divides opinion a lot of people. I think that's safe to say. Yes. Jackie Polo. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. It is the, the king of chat, Jackie Polo. Uh, I think... Can I talk about how much I did not like Jackie Polo when I first started watching ICW? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, because uh, I'm ready with the retort. <laughs> <laughs> what, the original Jackie Polo style? Ah, my first ICW show was the first Shugs House Party. And they did that This Is Your Life segment. It felt like it, it, felt like it went on for about 20 days. <laughs> well, we know how this is your life segments go. Uh, <laughs> just ask Alexa Bliss and Bailey. Yeah, but uh, the, no, no one ever tops, you know, um, the one between uh, Rock and Mankind. But I didn't, th- I, I, I didn't think that was the best. It kind of soured me on Jackie Polo. Uh, don't get me wrong. As I've started watching ICW, I've developed. I can now see I'm a bit more of a fan of Jackie Polo. I think he's actually very technically mm. gifted in the ring. He's very good, and he's a very he's a brilliant tag team wrestler. Stephen, retort me. <laughs> I think Nathan was going to make it. Sorry, no, I was going, just going to say that's before, the, before I go in deep on you go. That's like the first time I saw Jackie Poe as well, and I actually really liked him. And then uh, I went to see the it was the 2015 Square Go. It was a shooting interview between him and Lionheart, oh. and he just stole the show. And I've been a fan ever since. I didn't, I, I didn't actually see that one live, so I might have, that might have been different. Watch it on on demand. Oh. That is that's very much a go-to um, for me if I need to watch something to cheer me up. But they did, they Jackie did. destroys them mm. in that, but. Um, that's like to me. Get words out. The thing I found when I found Polo Promotions, I liked them, and I couldn't understand why people didn't like them. And that's something I've seen across. Yeah. But when I went to shows, you've seen it a lot. And uh, there's a big group of us that are quite big Polo Promotions fans and love everything <coughs> that they do and their antics, etc. Stacey. Um, I just got a message it, from one of them that I don't really want to say on it. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're not inviting him in the studio. Um, the, and it was just something that went on for ages. I think I, tw- I can't remember what it was. Um, the, um, the, I was like, I can't understand why people don't like polo promotions. And it was something that Mark Coffey said, and it was like, um, it's because they can't associate with us. And I think that is quite a strong one for ICW because you see, there's quite a big split, and I think it's ever grown in the crowd between. You've got your kind of old school guys like your Renfrew, etc., that are um, like a drink, dressing jeans, dress pretty similar to the guys in it, like um, some recreational puff puff. Um, I don't know the PC word for it, <laughs> but um, it's about who you can associate with, and I think that was something always with Jackie. The minute he started walking out there in yellow chinos and a three piece uh, jacket, uh, then you're going looking at him going, I can't, there was a, a big section of the crowd just couldn't associate with him and didn't like the way he spoke, that he was very well-spoken in a rough and swearing world and talked about how he wanted to clean, uh, the initial want to clean things up for television guy. And I, f- I don't think that's ever left them for all he's done now and all the matches they've had and um, longevity and the uh, the segments since. I think it's very much one of those that you either get them or you don't. That sense of humour, like, you're saying you hated This Is Your Life. Well, I, I can't... That's f- one thing. If I could go at any moment in ICW that wasn't there, that would be the one moment I would go back to because I love how bad it is. Well, the thing mm. about it is, if you kind of talk about how we talked about that, Zach Gibson, uh, it came. It was a good as a heel because it really made you think, I hate this guy, I can't wait to get him see beat up. And then Jackie Victor came down. 
<laughs> that was a good moment in itself. Uh, Lionheart obviously came back in that night as well. But, uh, but it's a, it was a great heel promo, and it kind of, I've obviously started to come toward, uh, to like Jackie Pole. I think as a tag team wrestler, him and, him and Coffee are probably the best in, best in the UK. He also had a stint on coming today. He did, Kirkwood. yes. He did. He obviously starting the show as well. Um, so like I was saying earlier, yeah, the fact he was, was talking basically was what got me to like him. I think it's something he doesn't get to do enough in ICW. I don't think he does get the mic time that someone of the quality of his promos does. Certainly not anymore. But when we talk about how much he's disliked, <clears throat> Jackie loves that. Jackie thrives oh, on yeah. that. He he doesn't want to be liked. He doesn't want the fan to cheer him. He hates it that we cheer him. Um, he wants to just be the most disliked person in any ring that he's in. So uh, an absolute classic Jackie Polo moment. Um, so I go down and watch Target a lot, and they're the, like the most uh, the most famous people in Carlisle that are not Jimmy Glass, a reference that the three people will get. But they had main event match against Zach Gibson and James Drake. So Zach Gibson was out doing his uh, heel stuff before it, through toilet roll, all all the surroundings. At the end of the match, Paul promotions have won, and there's a small boy in the front row, in tears, properly ha- head in his hands, head between his legs, crying his eyes out that James Drake and Zach Gibson have lost. So of course, Uber Babyface ja- Jackie Polo grabs the microphone and bursts into "Always Look on the Bright Side of Life" and had the whole place singing it. This wee boy, and you just seen the evil in his eyes. They <laughs> <laughs> we were meant to be. We went, they went over afterwards to see them and stuff. He just seen. He, he knew he had that moment. Like, there's one person out there that doesn't like me. Grab it, grab it, and Take it was chance, priceless. Yeah. Great heel, great heel doing that. No, that's, that's just. Is he a more natural heel than a, a face? You would just say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Uh, but yeah, it does definitely very really I think it's very safe to say that coffee is very well liked by most people. Mm. Uh, I find that hard. I've really found it hard to find a coffee here. Mark, anyway. <laughs> well, it's not about coffee, so we discuss Joe. Yes, we'll discuss. We'll discuss Joe now. I know Joe divides opinion because I know I, I know people who like Joe. I I think Joe's great, but uh, I know yeah. people hate Joe as well. Can we talk about Joe? Yeah, Yako on Twitter mentioned Joe Coffee as well. We have something. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for that reference, David. Yeah, Yako's reason is mostly to do with the later days of his championship reign, where he dropped down quite a lot of Celtic references. Um, and it was <laughs> what? <laughs> but, but, but it is it because it did. Yeah. did. There was a lot of things he did, and personally, I can let that kind of fly <laughs> over my can, head. But in the second time, but we a lot has got the wrestling because it's that one place in Glasgow where there's not that divide. So bringing up that sort of stuff. Not needed. He's he's good. I've been through peaks and troughs with Joe. There's been times where I've been thought he's absolute best in the world. I was watching back a match two nights ago where it was him and Jester. Whether it was it was his title shot at this um, Shugs up in the line where they put Red was the announcer. They had Kid Fight as the doctor. Shaz the announcer. Lionheart as the referee. They had all the cards against him. And watching the back, the garage was absolutely buzzing from that night. And then his title reign happened. And then. He got it taken away again, and then it kind of buzzed about. It. I think he suffered a lot from he should have been given the ball earlier, mm-hmm, and a lot absolutely. of people went sour because it just every time he got close, he got let back down. And then as he built up, like I really enjoyed his reign. I didn't think he got a really good story to have a, a memorable reign. He got a lot of big matches, but he didn't have a great story in that. But some of his stuff towards the end, towards the hydro, his interviews he was doing in the hydro yeah. were just absolutely top drawer, and I don't think he's fought him for that, but I can see why. He's there's times were, where he goes through these peaks and troughs of when what's good and what's not. His promos were killer. I mean, that, the interview he did with us, with James, was really good as well. You kind of showed, it, showed his, his, his passion. Yeah. Can I just add to your point about, you know, you saying uh, nobody wants to bring up the like old firm divider or anything like that, a wrestling event? I do have a, a counter-argument to that, actually. 
There was a staple in ICW called the 55. Uh, yeah, that was, but, but, all, but they were pretty much all English market fight. Yeah, so mm. it made sense. Well, again, it was just, again, yeah. to anta- physically antagonise the crowd. I'm I, I'm just quite glad that if Joe pulled a promo about that, that means Celtics the heels and Rangers are the faces. Yeah, <laughs> of course, always. Kwaku, <laughs> you want to... Our mics are about to be not, silenced. We are, we are not talking about Rangers or Celtics. And on the show. Let's not go there. Yeah, let's not go there. I will say, though, uh, with the Jack and Paul, um, not Jack and Paul, sorry, Joe Coffey, yes, initially there were Celtic references, but there's a promo with him and Rudo, and they're using both Rangers and Celtic songs and changing them into Rudo and Coffey. So he did cover both sides. And Joe is also a big fan of Penny Arcade. He knows every word. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he does, he does divide opinion with some people. Some people thought... I think I've seen some people compare him to WWE's John Cena at one point. I think mm. there's a lot of parallels we could draw with what we've said earlier on is that some people deliver in the ring but not a great story outside of it. That's something we've seen Cena and Reigns suffer with. I think Joe's suffered for that sometimes as well. Um, yeah. The big build up to being the champion and then I think in his reign was that transitional era and there's been a lot of wrestlers mentioned as well and I completely agree around last year was a big transitional time for ICW and he had a lot of just having to have matches. He got um, the build up to the Jester match I don't think was the best um, and then in the BT gun feud they had to carry a lot of that um, just the BT's not got a great preference for being up, spending a lot of time on the microphone and then Joe really stepped up to that and that's what something you can see him now anywhere he goes to be a champion we've seen him he's now doing more progress instead of ICW and um, the crowd's going absolutely wild for him he's made that step up and he's proven himself as a headliner um, if he can do it in the difficult times, then he can do it in the easy times, and it's, it's only going to get better. I don't this. So I don't it's just because of like, basically his, like his presence, basically. But he seemed to carry himself like a champion as well in a similar way to Drew. Oh, he had the prestige. The, you seen the, his interview on uh, BBC and the lead up to Fear yeah. and Love, and you seen he was the way he was holding the belt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, exactly. It was exactly. like carried himself well mm-hmm. in the suit. The beard was all done up. The hair was yeah. All mm. He definitely it. presented himself like a champion, unlike. Uh, other champions we've discussed on this show who just uh, carry their title over their shoulder like a sack of totties. Can I say that Jinder all did wear a suit? Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And he, and he was well, well groomed. Yeah. Uh, he made groomed, an effort. Groomed to be a champion. That's that was the story. But yeah, that was that's. <laughs> thanks for bringing up Joe Coffey in that one. We'll go back to one of the points we, we actually missed there uh, from Brian, which was uh, the session Mosh Martina. Mosh. Mosh. What did I say? Mosh. Mosh. Oh, she's, she's not all just, black. She, she, just, all joined black. The, she just joined the headbangers. Apologies. <laughs> Session Moth Martina. Uh, I remember first seeing her at a fight club last year, and I was like, okay, this this is an interesting gimmick, but it could it could work. And, uh, well... Is that the one where, was it Sean took the condom? The mouth? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Nice. It's not prophylactic. What's the proper... PG word for it. <laughs> oh come on, does not be PC on this show here. Let's. Johnny Wrestling. Okay, see. Well, um, when I when I interviewed Mark Dallas in 2017, uh, one of the things he said was uh, Martina nearly got them thrown off the Fight Network because uh, of that. Mm. So <laughs> that's maybe how she can divide opinion. I mean, to an ICW crowd, it's gold, and as from what I can see, she's really, really over in in, in Ireland. She's, yeah, up, she's so over OTT OTT yeah, yeah she's so but you can maybe see on maybe more the family friendly Scottish programme oh she should she's change she'd obviously change her gimmick but that's maybe why she should divide the opinion I, I think actually in ICW she she went too far because she had right. the gimmick but she went too 
deep into the gimmick rather than the wrestling because right. ICW mm-hmm. predominantly wrestling wise has been the likes of Viper, Kayleigh Ray yeah. um, oh who am I missing it's completely obvious Casey, Casey, Casey. Um, yeah, Nicky, etc. It's been very much about when the women are there, they want the women to wrestle, and I think she went too deep into the gimmick for ICW. When I've seen her in other places, such as um, on Progress and some of the OTT stuff, the gimmicks played, but she's also a really good wrestler as well, and that's where I think she suffered by ICW because ICW she's a, 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 that seemed a tailor-made gimmick. It was like you've got a woman who drinks, likes a night out, likes a laugh. I think she went too deep into it, and it's actually turned the very early on, on in her run she was getting booed pretty quickly um, which really surprised me and then that seemed to build up and then she took the step away for a while and then we've seen her come back going heel which she's not done anywhere else so I think they've seen that response and they've had to act on it um, but I, I, to me I think it's a great gimmick um, I just think when ICW went too far too quick rather than wrestle and do some it just went let's do all the fun and games and pester Sean See in me, wrestling secondary see me you've never seen it before like I'd see, I remember seeing it and she came out and I was like oh, this is mm. it, it, it drags you in you're quite interested like, I'm, quite, I'm quite interested to see how she actually performs you know she might, she, could be, she is a great wrestler I mean she's not the OTT women's champion for no reason you know and an intergender champion as well she's got that belt with them as well so yeah, um, she's, she's turned that up over there she's, up, she's set, uh, one of our top sellers I think but uh, yeah it's amazing how that gimmick's a bit different but she, David yeah. How familiar are you with the, with the Session Moth? Well, I saw Session Moth for the first time in, uh, again, Fight Club taping in Glasgow last year. And to be honest, I was a bit taken back by that gimmick because, I mean, I didn't really know how to respond at first, but it definitely seemed like somebody who obviously was very invested in her character, but I don't know if she could really back it up in the ring. But then when I saw the sort of uh, the wedding scene at Shug's house party, uh, that's when I thought, okay, maybe it's definitely getting way too much into the gimmick a bit. And I've never actually seen her properly wrestle, as it were. I mean, because, you know, when I go to ICW, I obviously think of names such as Kaylee Ray and Viper and stuff. But Session Martina Moth is probably the one I would associate more with a gimmick than uh, in ring ability. Much like, uh, if I could use another example of being the WWE employee that I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I think a good example, like a good comparison of it is with the Bella Twins. Like, right. I think they sort of invest too much into their gimmick rather than in the ring. But obviously, with in the case of Nikki, that's changed because she's vastly improved uh, her in-ring work. But there was a period where, you know, sort of 2012, 2013, they were pretty much acting more like valets and reality TV stars. They were more focused on that than trying to become really good women's wrestlers is it more like what I mentioned earlier on about Jackie Polo in terms of what people could associate with if Martina had came into ICW in 2013 2012 when everybody was drunk at their nut I think she would have been main event at the Hydro because um, it just was that gimmick she was the female equivalent of a Renfrew or someone like that that mm-hmm. drank and liked a party then but then as the crowds change and there's more of a, a wrestling fan like wrestling and very commas where we like to see good matches and the qualities expected, the more of that feeds into the ICW crowd, then there's less people can associate. And that's what you're saying now, like with the Bellas, is there been a lot of the, in terms of the, the female diva side, it's the ones that fans have taken to the least have been the, the supermodel types, but it's been the ones that have been a bit more like you could be Lita quite easily. You could be a page quite easily. You could be Trish quite easily. Yeah, it's it, but it's more difficult. Well, not sure. Trish. Trish was gorgeous. Oh, <laughs> you know, model. But it's the ones that were less model material are the ones that the fans seem to like more because you can associate with them. Like mm. everybody wanted to be stone cold, because everybody could drink and 
want to battle their boss. Whereas with some, <laughs> with some of these gimmicks, then you see them like. It, so I, I think she just maybe hit ICW at the wrong time. Yeah, well, but I've got I've got something on this. I mean, you can't mention Session Moth without mentioning the infamous Facebook post that. Oh yeah. Implied Don't that. <laughs> I mean, as Gobby said, that someone thought that she set women's wrestling back five years. Now, <laughs> I've got issue with that kind of statement and that kind of argument against Session Moth. And I'll tell like I'm I'm of a different minority or a different demographic myself. I can't comment for women's issues, obviously, because I'm not a woman. What? <laughs> You're not. However, a, a lot of us are away to wash our teeth right now. <laughs> <laughs> however, um, in the past, I have been told that I need to act in a specific way to because of that, the demographic that I'm from, and I find that is the most deliberated thing that anybody can ever say to me. And for something to be told to confirm to something, just because of the demographic they're from, I think it's less liberating. That's my mm-hmm. opinion. Fair point. Fair, fair play. It'd be interesting to see some opinion, other opinions on that mm-hmm. on, from the, the listeners on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, session off as one person. Uh, uh, what we've got one a lot of messages about a guy who's associated with the session off, and uh, it's Bram. Now, I think the reason that we got a lot of people getting mixed opinions of Bram, I think I think he gets quite a raw deal for a lot of things I think that's safe to say is it not? From outside of wrestling Yeah Uh huh I mean I think we know why he divides opinion uh, To me this is a wider thing so I was thinking when we I seen Bram come in it was almost one that I almost really didn't want to talk about because I think there's a wider problem of um, social media these days that suddenly when something's said that it becomes fact mm. um, I won't go too deep into it but I know from history uh abusers and things like that, domestic violence and have witnessed things in my very early years and having listened to his interview he did with Flash Morgan Webster, it certainly didn't sound to me like there is a, like there was depth to what happened and I think we've all seen stories of one short sort of another of someone having an encounter with an American police force and it being something it completely wasn't but I think there is that split in the wrestling world of there's people who see something and just accept that every accusation is correct and then there's those who are like, well, let's give people the benefit of the doubt about And I can see a point that... Innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that just doesn't exist anymore. And I can see reasons why, because there is a lot of things that happen that are not... Um, you don't see people get prosecuted where they probably should. But to me, he is still... He's not been... He wasn't charged. He was taken in. He was a couple of days in the cells. He would back out again. Um, but it is just that when you see things happen, like he's now no longer gets booked for OTT because of social media response um, and that's affecting someone's livelihood when for all intents and purposes we've seen it wasn't charged with anything but at the same time there is people who've been through things who will have a different view because of what they've experienced but just from my point of view I do think it gets a raw deal for that mm. and also that he's so unlikable as a heel makes it much easier for people to believe that whatever said about him is true. Yeah I mean when Bram similar to what we talked about was that Gibson he and there's like, and there's a, <coughs> excuse me, there's a ring. I hate him because he's a great heel. Yeah, and exactly. that's what he's supposed to be. Yeah, you know. But he he gets that mixed reaction from people. Yeah. A lot of people are like, well, he's done this, and uh, I think the thing that kind of brought up a lot of people was uh, the what thing with Ravy Davy last year. Yeah. Where some mm. people were quite thinking that maybe it went too far, but mm. that's obviously wrestling. Obviously, wrestling they, they hit people, you know. So it's kind of that way, and then that's why people started bringing <coughs> up these past issues. Have happened that Stephen brought up, which maybe made me think. Well, not maybe, definitely was a bit unfair to bring up such issues when 
obviously there's no confirmation innocent until proven guilty you know again it just t- it just goes to show like even just one allegation online can sort of divide opinion or ruin a person's character but as Nathan says he's a great heel I mean yeah, it makes it, it makes it easy to believe that if you if you see a six foot plus big muscular guy, if you hear that he inflicted physical harm on somebody, it's very easy to believe. Um, but if you go back, like I'm not saying I know a lot of people wrestling, but from various discussions around him, everybody that's known him personally has got a very very high opinion of him. I think he's put over. Like he made my everyone knows my favourite wrestler DCT. He put him over like nothing else and in their series always made him look strong. Any matches I've had since with Ravy Davy, he's accepted being attacked back, as we heard from the oh, interview yeah. in our Fear and Loving mm-hmm. episode. Uh Davy was all in for that. He didn't see anything wrong with it, it didn't leave him any lasting harm. He just seen that as like, Well, this is great, I've got more from it. But that was because Davy kept saying to him, because Bram was like, I want to stop, he's like, No, keep going, I want to bleed, I want to bleed, kept going. So Bram was just doing what David told him, but then people just seen it as, oh well, if he can do that to somebody's face, what can he do away from the ring? Yeah, absolutely. Allegedly. Yeah. Well, uh, that sort of ties back to JBL a bit. But obviously, you know, you don't have to be physical to be uh, have that sort of personality. You know, sometimes just your stature or your body language think, is intimidating enough. I think from the interview with David, I think with the, the the knock that he got was David was quite said maybe said maybe said a wee bit too much to him. And maybe got a wee bit of a hard one off Bram, but it wasn't really this. That's because of that, you know. But it's not like, oh, he's just a bully. He's just done it to hurt him, you know. But that's why he divides opinion. Yeah. But there's a couple of people did say Bram, but that's there is reasons for that. Now, uh, another one we'll talk about is from David Wharton, who brings up one guy who's mentioned from a lot of people, and uh, that guy's Randy Orton. But he also mentioned another two in Enzo Amore and Lionheart. Uh, can we start off with Randy Orton? Uh, because mm-hmm. uh, Randy Orton was one I was quite annoyed that I didn't think of myself. Because as a guy who loved the Legend Killer gimmick, yeah, me too, yeah. I have now got sick of seeing the sight of Randy Orton. He's just dull, to be <laughs> he's, honest. He's gotten really stale. Uh, yeah, I, f- I think that's what everybody's... Anybody ever talk about Randy Orton with, the frustration is that <clears throat> you could have been so good. He's got He's a much better looking guy than John Cena. He's got this great look about him. He's got such great natural ability. He took to it so well. But it just seems to have, rather than accelerate, he got into fifth gear and he's never left it. He's cruise control. He's, he's got a rep. I can't remember. It was at the Seth Rollins match a couple of years ago at Mania where Rollins wanted to do the curb stop into the RKO. Yeah, great Orton spot. had to be absolutely begged into doing that. He's like, no, nah, we might not get it right. He won't take chances. He won't yeah. take risks. Mm. He's in getting his money all right. He's fine. He's got up to a level where he's earning a cushion to live in. But he's probably something that I think we could all look at. I mean, you could have been so much more yeah. if you just tried. I think a case with Orton was that it was a case of probably too much too soon. I mean, youngest ever World Heavy Champion. I think he was like probably a 10 time champion by 30 yeah, almost. Yeah. Like, yeah you know, it's, it's going to get to a point where people get sick of that. Yeah, but I think the thing that kind of splits people on him and divides is a lot of people would look at him going, you're such a great wrestler, you're a brilliant heel when you want to be. I mean, the Dr. Times he was heel, legend killer. Uh, third generation as well. Two, uh, third generation. Uh, 2009, where he was the, what was it? Le- legacy, legacy leader, yeah. Legacy leader, mm-hmm. where he was great. I watched the moment recently the other week, the point where uh, Mark he owed Stephanie. Oh, and yeah. Triple H came yeah. out. That was, it's, it's the facial expressions are just like it was. Br- it, it was part of that gimmick also. Not like he had this weird psychotic, uh, yeah, psychotic need to kick the punt <laughs> psychotic people. mentality. Yeah, the, the punt, the punt, the yeah. punt kick. And there was also the recent case in the end of 2016, start of last year, where he was uh, with the Wyatt family, mm. and there were moments where you think they could do something with him. And then I think that a lot of people the criticism is he's a lazy face. 
lazy he's a very yeah. very lazy baby face Th- that got really interesting and the next minute he was just burning down his house yeah. he was like if you're the good yeah. guy why are you burning down the bad guy's house when he's not really done anything to you <laughs> um, it just felt what and then WWE was in that with Rusev as well Rusev day I will say just on a really good point Morton that Triple H feud um, the moment we had him in the house with his fake wife, um, <laughs> uh, it was just it was, uh, uh, that was good. That was something different at the time. But again, he is he's someone who was good. He's, he's a Ferrari in fifth gear, coasting, but he's not going to excite you flying around the Rubber Ring. He's just going to drive to and through the shops and get his paper and his slippers. No, uh, <laughs> just not got that uh, that thrilling nature to him. No, to- wow. totally. <laughs> uh, the other one, ne- the next one on that the those three is Enzo Amore now. Uh, Enzo Mori has divides opinion from a lot of people because of the, the point early on when he was in, in his career. He was very over when he was with Cass, the realest guys in the room, got pops galore when he came out. But then all the rumours came out last year about what was happening backstage, behind the scenes. He wasn't very, apparently he's not very well liked. And that's why now he's a heel. He's the Cruiserweight champion. But many people think of all the Cruiserweights in the division... He's yeah. the least deserving of the belt. Guys, let's talk about Enzo Amore quickly. Let's do it, yeah. See, Enzo and Cass, if you see them both together, they were probably, arguably, the most over guys on the entire roster. But when it became just Enzo, that's when it all sort of started coming out. Like, because he had a... He had a... Like, a presence about him. You know, he obviously runs his mouth quite a lot. But I think he also pushes the boundaries when it comes to work ethic. You know, he like he tries yeah. he flogs like how much cash he has, he f- tries to party with supermodels and tries to get all this he, he thinks he's entitled to all this VIP treatment just because he's a WWE superstar and I think that really rubs off on the fans quite a lot. Yeah, you mentioned work ethic there. I remember it was Simon and Big Cass on Steve Austin's podcast and it's stuck to me ever since. He's talking about when he, when he was at college and in life as well, he's always saying that he's cut corners to get like where he is. That's kind of stuck with me, and you mentioned the like, work ethic there, kind of, you know, playing dick up where he is just now, in like, terms of being disliked. But in terms of his character, because um, it looked like they were getting very much behind the wanted big cast to be a big heel, um, and they were using Enzo, Enzo just to be his victim, and then he got injured, and then he was just kind of left with really nothing to do. And what it seemed to irk a lot of fans for me is that Neville had an incredible 2016, mm-hmm. and then just to see Enzo come in, 2017. Alright, yeah, okay. 2017, yeah. What, what year are we recording this one again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's confused me the last few weeks. Um, he had a really, really good year and then um, proved he was just having these great wrestling matches, this wrestling machine, and then Enzo's up to that point had been he needs big cast there to defend him and get along with him. So to have him beat him in a wrestling match and end that really great era that he had as a champion, fans were like, Mm, I didn't want to see that for all 205 Live doesn't have the greatest following it was one of those that this was a, a shining point in it and then we've seen him since do things like when the UK Championship guys were on run them all down and nobody gets to say anything back it just there seems to be a lot of he's just running people down and there's not much well, coming what back quite, what, what quite annoyed me with is he talk, we, we talk about the talent that's on 205 Live you've got the likes of Cedric Alexander who's got, who he's fighting for the belt um, you said Neville and obviously when Pete Dunne came uh, Pete Dunn had to win with a distraction, you know. Mm. Pete Dunn, you know, the best that uh, the best that the UK's got to offer. Pete Dunn had to win, beat Enzo Amore with a distraction. I mean, it's not the best, you know. No. But he does divide opinion because of all the talent, he's not the best. 
the other one quickly on that list was Lionheart do you think Lionheart kind of classes in that divide opinion bracket or do you think he's can we more use, can we, are we allowed to use the word that people chant yeah go for it uh, fan hero that <laughs> <laughs> was clever David qu- that's, 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 that's good for you yeah. well, you, you, can, you can take your belt back sorry James but yeah Lionheart James, James isn't the champion I, right Kwaku beat David <laughs> I made Kwaku submit, and then somehow James has got the championship. Hey, that, I, that, that can get in the sea. But anyway, <laughs> Nathan, what have you got to say? I thought I was the modern day Maharaja. Let's go back to Lionheart. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I've I mentioned the whole. Um, I thought like, like what you said, Stephen, when you first started watching Nice W, it was the whole like, Jackie Post feud with Lionheart. I didn't like him then. I do like him now. I've said it previously. I think he should have been the main event of Hydro uh, just there. I think he should get on the title this year. And I think it helped certainly the match with, with Joe Hendry at uh, Shugs. I think the double turn had to happen. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think the double turn was done very, yeah. very well. And they both, they both came out of it both really, really oh, yeah. strong. That was at the Fight Club the, taping, wasn't it? Or was it the Shugs? Uh, Shugs and the match. Shugs, the, the match, was, night, the match yeah. was at Shugs and the double turn was Yeah, it? yeah. 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 Um, to me, it was. I, I got into ICW just after he turned so he had the the match with Kenny Williams at the um, the Edinburgh Fringe where he faked the neck injury coming back and that's something again I'll search for yeah. that and I'll watch that again and again that was, just, that, that, was, that was really good I remember that one actually you see all the people in the crowd and just there's a hush and the fact the commentators don't speak and things like that I'm like that's just it's such a B word uh, <laughs> someone who was born out of wedlock um, moved to do um, and then it just kind of went from there and there was a lot of times early on in the Joe Hendry feud, I didn't like it because I thought he was the heel. Before it looked like it was going to a double turn, it felt like he was playing for chairs and stuff. And then mm-hmm. it, as the story went on, then that led to, well, you can pick either side of him, you can be one or the other. But I think there's few in Scotland better in the ring. Um, he's got the confidence on the mic. He's got the best leather jacket in wrestling. <laughs> um, I've even seen him wear it with tracky bottoms and it just looks superb. And he loves dogs. Aye. <laughs> I bid on where he done the auction to raise funds where he could he would bring his dog to your house <laughs> to get a selfie with it. I bid on that, but I didn't win. It was like something ridiculous. It was like over a hundred quid. Jeez. It just shows you the, the appeal of a, a beautiful puppy. So moving on, our, our, the final wrestler I'm going to talk about before we finish up the show is one that we had on our list. So thanks to everybody who sent in the wrestlers that divided their opinion. We've got some great debate out of that in the second half of the show. Uh, we're going to end on Hulk Hogan. Ooh. The immortal one. Now, uh, Hulk Hogan, to many people, growing up, 80s, 90s, was the ultimate superhero wrestler. Everybody loved him. Looking back in history, you maybe think that time was obviously his time. If he was in this time, he would struggled because of his moveset wasn't the best. We'll end this, we'll end this one quickly on Hulk Hogan. Guys, what's your thoughts on... Uh, he, plays, he plays the creative control card a bit too much. Because he obviously gained a lot of popularity in the 80s and early 90s. But, you know, take Bash at the Beach 2000. We discussed this on before. and On that I'd, show. <laughs> I, and we'll discuss it again in a few weeks when we revisit the demise of, of WCW. Um, but, yeah, the, the Bash at the Beach sort of incident really sort of sort of personified like what Hogan was like backstage, I think, because that's when it all sort of came out that, you know, he's he's the big star. He should be winning all the championships. He should be the main event player. I think that's when it just uh, it really turned ugly. Mm-hmm. But yeah, see, 80s Hogan when he was main event in rest- the first few WrestleManias, I mean, I was okay with it. Yeah, well, and as Because 80s, you weren't born. <laughs> as 80s, he did, that was before my time. 
when I started watching wrestling in 2000, he was still there and he was still before my time in my opinion. Mm. I think with Hogan, there's something you'd mentioned there about the about his moveset. Um, as a recent subscriber to New Japan World, if you watch some of his matches on there, he could do far more than what he did. He did what he had to. And that's, I think, we've seen a template since of uh, WWE and WWF headliners, is that they'll have set moves that are recognisable, and then people think, oh, that's all they can do. That's why you get your You Can't Wrestle chant, because um, Roman Reigns has got six or seven moves that have got prominence. John Cena had it. Hogan had it. You knew when he hit the clothesline, the big boot, the leg drop, the match was over. Um, so he could do it, he just didn't have to do it anymore. And he was making all the money in the world for having very, very simple, formulatic matches that made him what he was. His well, character was, yeah, sorry, his character was pretty much that of your ideal sort of role model, you know, eat your vitamins, say your prayers, uh, I'm a real American, be a patriot kind of thing. And there has been times since where it's been, um, there's been things outside of the ring. Um, yeah, that's what that I was about to come up. went against them. Um, but in terms, if you're looking at as a wrestler, um, it was the, the. It probably wouldn't be very much wrestling around the moment if it wasn't for him, but what he did for the WWE and WWF at that time and gave them that prominence to be that ultimate superhero type, and then brought it on. And I've not. And then we've seen him when he came back, 2001 ish. He had that good run through the summer when he had good opponents to go against and were pushing him and driving more out. His tag team with Edge and matches with Jericho and even the match with Brock Lesnar where he I bled very very he heavily put, he put him over. couldn't have made him look any stronger um, mm. passing out in his arm so um, I think he could uh, he gets labelled as he couldn't do he just didn't have to when it came to the ring stuff yeah absolutely so so that, that's been our wrestlers who divide the opinion guys quickly before we finish we get any more final thoughts on the wrestlers we've discussed other than gender David <laughs> I'm not going to mention gender um, just, that. just uh, I think a lot of wrestlers who divide opinion i think the common theme has been the way they've been booked i think that's sort of the underlying factor because you can know you can have a a superstar who's like re- extremely talented in the ring and they can cut or they could cut a good promo but if they're not booked in the right way i think that's what gets people um giving them split opinions hmm. steven i think with a lot of them just don't overthink if, if you don't like something in a wrestler you don't have to put all your energies into disliking what somebody does if they don't do it for you move on and find somebody else that you like I think there's too much hate in wrestling um, and social media etc and people have got to prove oh I don't like them so I've got to say something about it the best way that we've ever got rid of wrestlers that don't continue to be booked anywhere is by silence if you're giving someone a reaction then you're giving them a reaction the only way if you really don't like wrestlers do nothing stay silent you don't have to boo or cheer or do anything like that if you really don't like someone ignore them if they're getting a reaction out of you they're doing exactly what they're meant to do mm-hmm. either way you go Nathan? Nothing really to add but I mean it's a topic we could talk about forever because yeah. you know, there's always going to be different wrestlers who are going to divide opinion but certainly uh, credit to the people who sent in the names that we didn't have some good names there good discussion yep absolutely so yeah that has been our discussion on wrestlers who divide opinion if you've listened to us via the live stream and you've liked what you've heard follow us on social media we're at facebook twitter and instagram at suplex retweet we are also on itunes and any other podcasting sites up via for android so if you've liked us live subscribe to us listen to our back catalog comment on us and share the word we are here and we are here to stay uh, we'll be back next week at the same time where, to mark the 25th anniversary of Monday Night Raw, our panel will be discussing our top moments in Raw 
history. I, for one, I'm really looking forward mm-hmm. to this, actually. As yeah. am I. I think this is that's going to be a really, really good show. So listen to us next week at the same time, Wednesdays at half five, where we'll be talking about that. But from the team here at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, I've been Stephen Wilson. I've been David Hockney. Stephen Louch. Nathan Fisher. And from our EP, Kwaku Aji. Goodbye. And we will see you at this time next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.